It's November 30th, 2020, and you're listening to the Architecture Geeks podcast. I'm Larry. And I'm Matthew. And we're your friendly neighborhood architects being geeky as we want to be. Well, happy post-Thanksgiving, everybody. I hope you all had a good turkey day, whatever you could kind of make of it this year. It seems very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? More scattered, maybe? Uh, or maybe maybe the right phrase is more non-traditional, because I know for us, we didn't, we didn't have any sort of big family get-together, and we didn't even have turkey or ham. We had like, a, James's brother made a boneless rib roast, which was really quite good, says the vegan. Uh, <laughs> and so it was was a little a little out of the ordinary, which was fine for us. Actually, it all worked out worked out pretty good. How'd you guys do? It was okay. We we actually we went over to my mother in law's because there the, she watches the kids while we're at work uh, for the most part, and and we just had a traditional Brazilian Thanksgiving meal, which is feijoada, which is a a very popular dish over there, rice, beans, different kinds of meats, stuff like that. And uh, yes, yeah, so so no turkey for us either. And and then we and then we did a socially distance play in the backyard with my grandma because she was feeling kind of lonely and and we like to hang out with her even if she's not interacting with us at all. Yeah, we we, we can still give her the the energy of the kids without without the. The, the, the close contact. Okay. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's nice. Nice that you guys are able to do that. We didn't, we saw James's brother and uh, his wife and that was it really. His nephew and his nephew's girlfriend came, came over as we were finishing up the meal and stuff. So we spent a little time with them, but really for the most part, it was pretty, pretty low key. And this is the first year we've, we've had to do this obviously. And I, I hate to say it, but it was kind of nice not to feel like there was, you know, I had to split my time between my sister's house and James's brother's house. And there wasn't a lot of moving parts and pieces that had to be worked out as far as you know, preparing dinner and deciding on menu and stuff. It was all, all fairly simple. But now that we've made it past Thanksgiving, it is officially Christmas season. And while most of you have probably been shopping already, I guess the earnest earnestness of of the Christmas season, the Christmas shopping season really started the day after Thanksgiving. And of course, today is Cyber Monday. So we thought what we might do is at this time of year, there are a lot of, you'll start seeing a lot of Christmas lists of what to buy your architect for Christmas or what an architect might want for Christmas. And there's, I've seen three or four already. And of course, there's some really good suggestions and there's some really not good suggestions. So we thought we might try to do something a little different. And so telling you what you can get an architect for Christmas, we would instead talk about what not to get an architect for Christmas. And I'm going to let Matthew start off with this because you you had something that I, and I'll comment on this too, because I think it's one of those things that's, that's really easy to, to think about. Oh, that'll be simple to get, but at the same time, not quite as easy as you might think. Yeah. So the first thing I thought of what not to get an architect in 2020 
would be something like drafting supplies or, or fancy colored pencils. Because let's be real here, unless the architect in your life makes a concerted effort to draw or really do anything artistic in his or her free time, these will most likely end up decorating a bookshelf somewhere in the house. Most architects work on the computer these days. And even if they do have the chance to do some hand drawing, and most of us do from time to time, we'll most likely just grab whatever's close at hand in order to do that kind of hand drawing, you know, just computer paper and whatever pencil I can reach for. And and while I'm thinking about it, there's many architects who are parents as well. And from my own personal experience as a parent, I can tell you that once your kids get a hold of your fancy drafting supplies or or your your $100 collection of color colored pencils or or whatever it ends up being there's not there's not going to be anything left to them other than some extremely expensive pencil stubs because i know my boy william he will just he'll it just he'll just take the the colored pencil in his fist and he'll just mash it down as hard as he can on that paper and of course when when it's done he's like oh gotta sharpen it and of course and so you'll have you'll, you'll just there's there's going to be nothing left of it at the end of it. <laughs> so from a practical perspective, I, I don't see that working out well for many people. Yeah, that's that's where my head immediately went to too was the the small child with a with a only because you see it with a crayon. They don't know how to color yet, but they can you know do the motion and and make that sort of scribbly. So I can see them just wearing the pencil pencil down to almost nothing in a, in a matter of minutes. But the thing for me on the whole pencils and drafting supply stuff is, is that a lot of architects get really very picky. You know, the, the ones that do a lot of drawing and the ones that do a lot of artwork and whatever get very picky about the pens and pencils that they use. And I've seen a couple of, of, these recommended on some of the list and yes you think that's a good pencil or that's a good pen but i will guarantee you not everyone's going to feel the same way and it makes it very challenging for someone who's buying for an architect to really get them something that they're going to use and it can get quite expensive this is one of those things maybe it's not the maybe not the best thing to get an architect every year or, or for christmas at the same time the big thing for me is anything Frank Lloyd Wright related, because you see this a lot on a lot of the list every year. You keep coming across these Frank Lloyd Wright gift suggestions and starting starting right from the top, the large number of books that are available for them. And, and I won't get into that because we're going to cover that a little bit later. But some of the other suggestions I found, I... I almost couldn't believe because there are things like paper model, paper models, which makes sense. But there was a doormat and a wall clock and coasters and glasses. And I even found Frank Lloyd Wright dinner napkins. And all I could think, the cynical part of me was like, well, somewhere along the way, Wright's become this sort of go-to when people think about architecture, architecture gifts. And I think you can almost chalk that up to just really good marketing by the Frank Lloyd Wright Foundation. And, and yes, there is, in fact, a Frank Lloyd Wright Foundation. But not every architect's a fan, and that's not to knock his contribution to architecture or anything, but his design aesthetic certainly isn't a one-size-fits-all. So 
when it comes to Frank Lloyd Wright, unless you're absolutely certain that your architect is a fan or really appreciates his design work, maybe it's time to think of something else and and whatever that may be. I remember when we first moved into our apartment, Faye was looking for all different kinds of decorations and, and other things that, that she she might be able to make me feel more included in the process. And and the first thing that she reached for was like one like what you mentioned, that doormat. I think I, I think I have the exact image of what doormat you're talking about from the Frank Lloyd Wright collection that that and we didn't end up actually getting it. We actually got one that said wipe your paws because we had dogs and, and that that's more of our style anyway. But yeah, I, I guess I can relate. You know, just reaching out and, and that first instinct being, "Oh, look, here's a Frank Lloyd Wright doormat." Like, well, <laughs> it's also what one hundred and twenty dollars, and and this one is more cute and and fits our personality a little better. <laughs> I think the next the the next thing that you might be tempted to 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 reach for in in the Christmas list collection for an architect would be a 3d mouse uh, i've seen these build as tools to make 3d navigation easier across multiple different software packages and and while it's true that most industry software has 3d capabilities most day-to-day interactions that we have with this software is in 2D. Contrary to popular belief, we don't spend all day zooming through 3D models, although that it makes for a great little gif. You know, if you're if you're advertising, here's an architect, look look at all the cool 3D stuff that he can do. Yeah, that that that, that that's that's true. But from the people that I've talked to that have had that have had one of these 3D mice before they they say it's a cool toy, but one that doesn't get used all that often because just in a day to day office situation, we're primarily concerned with producing just straight up 2D drawings, and that's just the 3D navigation tool isn't quite as relevant as as you may think it would be in an architecture setting. Yeah, I, I think of this as, as one of those sort of, you know, you talk about it being kind of this cool toy that that an architect can have to, to use for all the 3D stuff. And and when you think of toys, my mind immediately goes to like all of the architecture tchotchkes that are out there that you could possibly buy for an architect. But let's face it, they probably don't really need because a lot of these stuff falls into sort of that category of like, miscellaneous hard not harder but housewares stuff that's not you know not including the frank lloyd Wright clock and it's all this stuff that's been designed by architects and therefore must appeal to the architect in your life including the ubiquitous coffee mug i was just i was going to say that that brings us to our the next thing on our list the the architecture tchotchkes oh definitely uh, yeah and and when you when you look at the list it's it's been Interesting because there are things on there that I am just absolutely flabbergasted by, and and I think the the favorite thing I've seen so far this year was the Zaha Hadid designed cheese grater. And yes, that is correct. You've heard that correctly. We're talking about a cheese grater, which you can also pick up on Amazon for sixty five bucks. 
I didn't know that Zaha got so deep into design that she actually thought of a cheese grater. <laughs> well, and and I don't know that that she really. I mean, you know, someone obviously asked her to design this for them, but I'm like sixty five dollars for a cheese grater, which is a steal because it normally retails for around eighty bucks. But that's the sort of thing we're talking about, and the things that you're gonna. I mean, you're gonna find like various vases designed by architects, table centerpieces. I saw a juicer, like a um, literally like an orange juicer kind of thing, designed by Philippe Stark. And then there's always the hundred and seventy dollar Michael Graves tea kettle, none of which seems practical. And I'm thinking, you have to wonder if your architect really needs any of that. I mean, out of the entire list, I could see buying someone a cheese grater if they needed a cheese grater, but good Lord, hop over to Target and grab one of the cheap OXO box graters for like 15 bucks and save yourself the frustration of of thinking, oh God, I just spent $65 on a cheese grater. What's wrong with me? (laughs) Yeah. I I think a lot of these because they're they're specifically designed by someone, you know, they're automatically because it has that name recognition or something like that. It automatically bumps it up into that, like, oh, you've got to spend an arm and a leg for it. I in in my experience, I tend to think of like anything related, anything that says wedding, you can automatically include a you know hundred and fifty percent markup on just because it has to do with the wedding industry. I. I, I I feel like this is a similar type situation with architecture Jotsky's and and the the hundred and seventy dollar tea kettle from Michael Graves. <laughs> uh, completely, it is completely the same thing because it has a name attached to it, and it's a star architect. Therefore, it must be important and really worthy of your time and money. And I just, it absolutely floored me. But that's, those are the things that the, this little list of housewares and vases and things that you kept seeing, you keep seeing on the list. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't really need, need any of that. Yeah. And speaking of Stark Techs, another thing that, and, and then the, the number five on our list is the Frank Gehry's architecture and design course that I've seen on, on a couple lists across the internet lately. <laughs> and I had to laugh laugh at this one because unless the architect in your life is a, a huge Gary fan, I, I, honestly, I just stay away from stuff like this too. And and the main re- and why? Because there, there there are really three types of architects in in the industry. There's the Stark techs that you'll buy stuff from at an extremely <laughs> exorbitant price. Your, your Frank Lloyd Wrights, Jark Ingles. Zaha Hadid and the Frank Gehrys of the world. They are the the celebrities in the architecture community. The rest of the architects out there can be very neatly divided into two categories. Architects who are good at architecture and architects who are good at business. The architects who are good at architecture aren't really going to want or need design tips from the like of Frank Gehry. And the architects who are good at business already have a building prototyped and, and and ready to be sold to the next developer who walks through the front door. So they don't really need divine design advice from a guy who invented his own software to make incredible one-of-a-kind structures. Good design and custom pieces just don't fit with the business model. 
Sorry, that was my that that was my <laughs> that's my rant on that that's my rant on. Well, so that was your rant about Starkitex, and it's it's perfectly, I think, well deserved, or maybe just deserved. I don't know if it's well deserved, but I, t- I totally get it because we we tend to put a lot of value in these names that not everyone's going to benefit from. And I've seen that that masterclass, that Frank Gehry masterclass, pop up a couple of times too. And I'm thinking, I just. I don't know what I would take away from it. And it seems like I'm, you know, someone is spending money for me that doesn't really seem to be, be maybe worth my time. And I hate to, hate to put it that way. So, so yes. So, so something to not get your architect. And and we have one last thing that I want to talk about on, on what not to get your architect for Christmas. And it's what we talked a little bit about earlier and that's books because every list always has a lot's, and lots of books. And it's not a, not a bad idea necessarily, but there's a challenge here as well because you'll see a lot of different things. And sometimes you'll see a lot of technical books on the list, but over time, most architects are building up their library by purchasing what they need. And I've done this with a, a number of different books. There's some detailing books and some stuff about houses that I really wanted to make sure I had the information on. And sometimes it's just stuff that, you know, we think, hey, that looks really kind of cool, cool and interesting. So why don't I go ahead and get, get that one? But finding the right book for your architect isn't easy, as easy as it seems. And I, th- I think that is that that thing, not understanding what they're really after. You know, this is and this is where the Frank Lloyd Wright issue comes in, because I don't need another Frank Lloyd Wright book. I'm I'm perfectly fine with a few I have. And let's go on to something else. But on the flip side of that, if I'm a young architect and I'm just getting into the field, there may be something like the Field Guide to American Houses that might come in really, really handy. Except that's still a challenge because they may not be interested in residential architect architecture. And you know, in, in my day, I've received some really great books, and some of which I've asked for, and some of which I haven't. But most of the people in my life know that I focus on residential projects. So something like the field guide would make perfect sense, which I already have a copy. Actually, I have the original book and the second book. So I you know, have my basis covered there. But most of what I receive tends to reflect the residential architecture part. And what I think is that people just need to be aware of what their architect is really interested in. Yeah. And books... I feel like tend to be a very personal experience. So if, if I'm ever asking for a book, like I will put a, I will put the specific title with the ISBN number that you can find. That's an international standard for, you can look it up all across the world for, for whatever publication you're looking for. And, and you you can get really specific, but, but unless something like that comes up, you know, books books are a double-edged sword they can be great when when you when you get the right one but maybe a little overdone if you if if it ends up being yeah a a miss oh completely completely well and 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 like when james and i were talking the other day and and i said you know if if you're buying me a book you can almost guarantee that anything on new orleans or something on key west would be perfect for me because those are two places I really like. And that's that's an easy, easy to do. But if you're like, if you are trying to buy for someone within your sort of extended family that, you know, you your brother-in-law is an architect, but you don't really know what he's, he's, he does, but you're thinking of the book would be really good. 
it's just that double-edged sword. Like you said, you just run the risk of getting him something that he really doesn't need and maybe maybe he doesn't like. And I, I think that's probably, well, actually not probably, this, <laughs> that's where we're going to end this list of what not to buy. So if, you, if you're out there looking for gifts this year, we, we hope that we've given you some some things to keep in mind when you're looking because there are plenty of people out there who are going to tell you what to buy and, and not, just Google 2020 Christmas architect list and you're going to see all sorts of lists pop up from all sorts of places. But every once in a while, I think knowing what not to get isn't a bad thing either. So, yeah. So I think that's where we'll end it for the day. Uh, you can always find us on online we have our website up and going which i'm still in the process of currently getting updated it's architecturegeeks.com you can find us on instagram at archgeeks podcast and you can always find me on twitter at archgeek matt and larry where can they hit you up oh you can always find me everywhere You can always find me at Spotted Dog Arch on Instagram and Twitter or spotteddogarchitecture.com, the website. So I'm easy to locate. But And, and if you feel like dropping us a message at any time, feel free to. We'd love to hear from you. But in the meantime, we're going to let you all go. So you can hop online at Amazon or wherever, or if you're brave enough to brave them all, good luck to you. And we will let you go. Have a good time. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you.